0: Well, happy Lord's Day. It's good to be face-to-face before the Lord together in worship this morning. Merry Christmas and happy New Year's as well. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 through 12 this morning, and the plan here is going to be to finish Matthew chapter 2, then double back to Thessalonians in coming weeks, uh, and then come back to Matthew. I had it mapped out a little bit better than that before, but uh, life got in the way, and so here we are picking up where we left off last week, last evening in chapter two. And if you'll remember, Matthew is arguing to the end of showing us that Jesus is the promised forever Davidic King who brings the blessing of Abraham to all nations. And he's set out to show us this, really, if we wanna take a bird's eye view in the first three chapters of his book. He's shown us Jesus' pedigree, He's going to show us that Jesus fulfills prophecies in chapter two, and then in chapter three, he's going to show us that Jesus has all the right endorsements as God the Father, together with God the Holy Spirit say, behold, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You see the pedigree part of that and the genealogy which opens the book, and in the fact that Joseph, the son of David, has adopted Jesus so that that genealogy belongs to him. And now Matthew is going to focus us on the place of Jesus' birth. He wants us to recognize that Jesus is born in the city of David, the place where the Messiah must be born. And so he, he wants us to see that Jesus is the waited for king, And really, this morning, he's going to call us to respond to Jesus, not like Herod or the biblical scholars that we'll see in the text, but like the pagan magi. Matthew would like all of us to recognize Jesus' identity as king and to come to him and bow down and worship. That's the setup, and so if you would stand up in honor of reading God's holy and perfect word Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. May he carve its eternal truth on our hearts. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to a text that teaches us of Jesus' human origins this morning. Teaches us about his birth and life. In Bethlehem, the house of bread, we come hoping that you would feed us this morning. Remembering that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from your mouth. We pray that you would give us your words. Lord, we too are reminded that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will neither hunger or thirst anymore. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning hungry and thirsty for the bread of life, for the one who gives us the water of life. We pray that you would help bring us to life once more as we worship Christ, our King. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Verse 1 After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Bethlehem is not just a little town. It's an important town. It is where David was born. It is where great King David was anointed to be king when he was yet a shepherd boy. Bethlehem is the place where the Messiah must ultimately hail from. And as you know, Jesus is most often referred to as Jesus of Nazareth rather than Jesus of Bethlehem. And so Matthew wants to make clear that even though Jesus has a Galilean background, he was born in the right hospital. On his birth certificate, it says Bethlehem, the place of the Messiah. And so you can see, Matthew is sort of stacking his argument up. If we go back into the genealogy, remember the whole thing revolved around King David. We even showed you that neat little math trick that the Jews used to like to play with names where the consonants would represent numbers. I did the math wrong, and, and uh, Brian called me out on it. Last week, I thought he was being smart. I like, he was like, It's 16. And I was like, No, it's 14. He's like, You said six twice. But remember, uh, David's, the letters of his name, the consonants, refer to numbers, so it's like, uh, I can't remember, D is four, four, the V is six, it's the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then the D is four again. Four, six, four, and you get, what is it, Brian? Fourteen. And so Matthew tells us that he's organized his genealogy around the number uh, 14. He's not given us all of Israel's history verbatim, but he has given it to us in three sort of sections. He takes us uh, from Abraham down to King David, he then takes us from David down to the exile in Babylon, and then he takes us from Babylon with Jeconiah all the way through this time that we call the captives to uh, the birth of Christ, and he says 14, 14, 14, right? And he's made all these purposeful omissions and he's organized it this way to sort of say, David, David, David. And David's is the 14th name on the list, and david's is the only name there are other kings on the list his is the only one that has king in front of it or i guess it's behind it david the king and so he's saying this is all about david jesus comes from david he is the son of david he's saying jesus is the king jesus is the king jesus is the king and then some of us who might have a question we go well wait isn't jesus born of the virgin mary so how then is this genealogy his matthew has an answer he goes into verses 18 through 25 and he says look Joseph is the son of David. And he takes Mary as his wife. He adopts Jesus into his family as his own, so that Jesus has a rightful claim to the throne of David. He fulfills the prophecy. He has the right qualifications. He's going, David, 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 king, king, king. And we're going, all right, Matthew, we did it. But still, he continues on here in chapter 2. And he's saying, and Jesus was born in the city of David. He was born in Bethlehem. He says, even the prophets know this. He shows us this as Herod asks, Uh, Once the Magi asked for the real king, "Well, where where will this Messiah be born? He asks the biblical scholars, and they tell him there in verse 6, verse 5 and 6, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, if you are an astute and really locked-in Bible student, and I mean more locked in than me uh, before I refer to commentators, you will immediately recognize that this quotation comes from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, but it's a little bit wrong. It's not verbatim and exactly quoted. Matthew is sort of done this trick that a lot of the biblical authors do where he takes one portion of scripture and he quotes part of it and then he smashes another portion of scripture together with it to make his point. And so he's given us not just Micah 5-2, but also 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 5-2, which talks about David being a shepherd. He wants us to see this shepherd imagery. He wants us to know that this newborn king, well really now a toddler at this point in the text, that this young boy will be a shepherd king just like David. The imagery of a shepherd is meant to convey to us the care, the command, and the combat a king is called to exercise on behalf of his people. It's actually a great metaphor for what a king does. Actually, we see this metaphor play out in the life of David. David, when he's a young boy, maybe 13 through 14, he's tending sheep. And when he's 13 and 14, he goes and stops tending the sheep as a shepherd and begins shepherding Israel. It takes him a minute to get there, but he still has it within him in his very early life. You'll remember Goliath is taunting God's people. He's telling them, you cannot defeat me. Your God is as nothing. David is just a shepherd boy and he shows up and he hears this and he will not abide it. He volunteers to vanquish the giant wearing the scales of an ancient dragon. And this is what he says. And remember kids, he's only 13, 14 probably. Listen to how he speaks and what he does. 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered the sheep out of his mouth, and if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. I love David's bravado here. We'd use a little bit more confidence like that As a church, we could use that here at FBC Waynesboro. Our uh, Waynesboro way should be the way of David, the way of a fearless boasting in the Lord, a holy boldness in Christ that knows the battle belongs to the Lord, that the victory is Jesus's, and that we can stand and fight against the darkness with certain hope of victory. We as a church, as First Baptist Waynesboro, should have that that First Baptist Waynesboro way about us, a way that loves Jesus dangerously, that isn't afraid of being slandered, that isn't afraid of standing against the enemies of God, that isn't afraid of death itself, David walks into this situation against Goliath with a confidence in the Lord. He says, God has delivered me in the past. He's delivered me from the paw of the lion. He has delivered me from the paw of the bear. And he will deliver me from the mouth of this Philistine sea monster. God will give victory to me. He will not leave his people. We know how the story plays out. David won't wear Saul's armor, which I think he, he throws a little shade at Saul when he puts it on, it doesn't fit. And he says, this, this armor hasn't been tested, right? So like, you haven't been wearing it. And, and from Saul's perspective, he's like, I'm gonna throw this little boy out there and then the Philistine will destroy him. No big deal, uh, we'll just move on and we'll, we'll, we'll move on with life. But David goes and he takes this, this slingshot. He throws the stone, knocks out Goliath, He takes Goliath's own sword, severs Goliath's head from its shoulders, and he takes it back to Jerusalem. And in my head, before he takes it back to Jerusalem, he he turns to the Lord's armies and holds that head up, you know, and probably gives out some sort of scream, like, ah, you know, and they all rally, and they rout the Philistines. This is the kind of shepherd king that David is. He cares for the people of God commands them and he combats the enemies of god on their behalf he is a good shepherd king and he leads israel into all kinds of peace and prosperity david is the ideal king and god promises david an heir to sit his throne forever great promise to God's people is that he is going to give them a king like David but better a messiah who's going to come and make all things well conquer all of their enemies and bring them into unending prosperity and when he makes this promise to David it seems right away like it's going to be Solomon right that's the next son in line that's the 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 next one to sit the throne And things go really well under Solomon. He builds the temple. Every man has his own vine. There's peace in Israel. Unprecedented prosperity. But Solomon proves not to be the Messiah. His heart is turned away from God. And for those of you who have been with us in the evenings. Away from God to gold, guns, and girls. Solomon worships idols. The decline of Israel is accelerated. The nation is split into two. The north goes into exile first, and then the south, wicked rulers, wicked shepherd kings, are put over Israel. And Ezekiel rebukes them. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 7. Therefore... You shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. The Lord is bringing judgment against these leaders He's recognizing, he's calling out through Ezekiel that Israel's leaders are not following God, but Satan. They don't care for the sheep. They don't feed them. They don't rule the sheep well. They encourage them unto disobedience. They don't fight for the sheep, but are themselves the wolves that would devour them. Therefore, God brings judgment. And promises rescue for those who are truly his sheep. We see it in the same chapter, verse 9 through 12. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And you can Drop down to verse 23 there in Ezekiel 34. God continues, And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken see what's happening here the Lord says I myself am going to come and shepherd my people and the means by which I'm going to do that is through my servant David now David's already dead when he says through my servant David he's saying through my Messiah through the son of David who is to come and even here in Ezekiel you can feel sort of in an uncomfortable tension Because the Lord's saying, I'm going to come down and I myself, I'm going to shepherd my people. And I'm going to shepherd my people through my servant David. So you can sort of see the tension of the incarnation already. This shepherd is going to be truly God and truly man. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. You hear what Matthew's saying with this shepherd imagery. He's saying David is here. The son of David is here. The shepherd king has been born in Bethlehem. He's the one you've been waiting for. The rest of Matthew's Gospel will indeed make clear that Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus brings peace to his people. That's all who repent and trust in him by bringing them peace with God through his sacrifice. Jesus dies under the wrath of God in the place of his sheep. Jesus cares for his sheep at the expense of his life. Jesus cares for his sheep. He feeds them with his own body and blood. Jesus commands all to repent and to follow him and his sheep know his voice and obey. Jesus goes to combat on behalf of his sheep. He defeats death by rising from the dead. He pours out his Holy Spirit and pours resurrection life into all who trust in him. The Good Shepherd puts the sword of the Spirit into the hands Of his sheep. The Good Shepherd dresses his sheep with the shield of faith and the helmet of the hope of salvation so they can stand against the schemes of the devil. Friends, Jesus is the Shepherd King. He's fighting on behalf of his church. He's leading those who have trusted in him into battle against the forces of darkness. And he has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail. Church, Jesus is leading us from his throne in heaven. He came in a cradle so he could go to the cross and die. And he has now taken up his crown. He is ruling and reigning and his kingdom is growing like a mustard seed. He is coming soon. And so we fight right now as the church militant. We struggle against sin and against darkness and against evil. And soon we will be the church triumphant. So as you strive against the world, the flesh, and the devil, do so like David with that Davidic bravado as he went against Goliath. Let's be a church that has that Waynesboro way about us. Happily trusting in Christ. Boasting in the Lord. As you walk through your ordinary day by day. And you choose to sow to the spirit instead of to the flesh as you choose to do good rather than evil, as you choose to take one more step behind the Lord Jesus instead of off the path, as we do those things, let's keep one eye on the cross where our redemption was accomplished. Be humbled to the grave. And let us keep the other eye on the kingdom that is coming with confidence that stretches to the sky Friends, Jesus is coming soon. He is great David's greater son. He will execute justice against his enemies. He has crushed the head of the serpent already. And he will soon sever it. He will defeat all of his enemies. Jesus will conquer all those who have rejected his rule. All those who have loved the darkness and hated the light. Jesus will defeat them all. He will bring his holy wrath down upon the heads of all those who refuse to bow to him in submission. Jesus will bring peace and glory. Non-Christian, you are at war with God. He is opposed to you. You don't have to be. You can repent of your sins and come to the Good Shepherd and find yourself under his care, safe from the wrath of God, covered by his blood. Lay down your arms and put your faith in Christ. Hear his voice today. Heed his command. Turn from your sin and believe. Repent and be baptized. Church, we have much to learn from Jesus, our shepherd. In fact, we think about shepherds that Jesus has given to the church. We are reminded we need to hold our pastors to the standards of Scripture. We, we need to pray together that I and the other pastors here would be men who are committed to caring for the, block of, for the flock of God by feeding it constantly with faithful preaching of God's Word and the right administration of the sacraments. Our shepherds must lead us to feasting on the Word, the bread, and the blood. They must lead us in rejoicing as we see repentant sinners symbolize their union with Christ by being washed in the waters of baptism. FBC, you deserve shepherds that care for you by feeding you with with red-hot gospel. You deserve shepherds that will rule you well by leading you to good pasture. You deserve pastors that will fight with you and beside you and for you. Pray that God would make the pastors we have such men. Pray that God would make the fathers among us, those family shepherds, such men. Men who will not serve themselves but Christ. Men who will lay their lives down for the flock. Men who will boldly stand against giants dressed in armor. We want to be shepherds who steward our authority in order to bless and build. And loved ones, let us pray together that God would light a fire in all of us to devour his word. To obey his commandments. And to never forget that we are at war. Let us wage the good warfare as workmen approved by God. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the Davidic shepherd king who has defeated death on our behalf who is conquering evil in our world and who is coming soon. Jesus is king. Christ is Lord. And that is not good news to everyone. In fact, apart from a work of God, everyone hates that news. We see it here is Jesus, the shepherd king, is set in contrast with Herod, the wannabe king. Go with me again at verse 1. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. You have to sympathize with Herod a little bit here, right? You're the king, and these pagans show up, they're magician philosophers, and they say to you, your majesty, where's the real king? You know, me, I might be a little offended. Maybe have a swell of rage in my chest. I mean, think about it. Think about it if, if they would come to your place of work and say to you, like, we know you do this job, but we want to see the, the real skilled worker. Like going to the doctor's office and the physician is seeing you and you say to them, thanks doctor, but we would like to see the real doctor. Or You know moms somebody comes to your house and say yeah i know your kids call you mom and you're doing all these things but we want to see their real mother right this is sort of of offensive but they're often the magi are called wise men but this doesn't seem like a very wise comment to make to a king right where's the the real king especially in light of herod's history herod was really a mad king He lived for Herod. He wanted to build his reputation by building all sorts of things. Herod restored the temple in Jerusalem. He erected theaters and cities and palaces and fortresses. He wanted his legacy to last. He liked being king. And he would not suffer any rivals. He loved his power so much that it led him to all manner of insanity. He protected his rule even against his own family. Caesar Augustus famously quipped of Herod that he would rather be Herod's pig than one of his sons. And by the time Jesus was born, Herod had murdered one of his wives. He had like eight or nine. Arranged a drowning accident for a brother-in-law. Hired assassins to strangle two of his sons. And he had even concocted a plan to ensure there would be a great public outcry and mourning at his funeral. The plan was, when he died, some of his soldiers were supposed to go out and kill very well-liked public leaders. So that all in the region would be mourning his loss. Herod loved power. And so when we see him feign a desire to worship Jesus... In verse 8, you know, bring me words so I can go and worship him too. We know it's false. We know there's murder in his heart. You can see it in verse 16. He calls for the murdering of all children two and under in Bethlehem. He has no intention of worshiping Jesus. He has no intention of honoring Jesus as king. Herod rejects Jesus outright... Because there can only be one king. And Herod wants to be that king. He doesn't want Jesus to be that king. And Herod, well, he's a picture of us all. All of us want to rule ourselves. Someone comes to us and says, there's a king, his name is Jesus. Jesus. He commands you to submit to him and to live according to His word rather than your heart. And we bristle, and we say, "No one is going to tell me what to do. I create my own meaning. I decide what's right and wrong for me. I will self-actualize. I am not going to live my life according to what some dead guy said and what some ancient book says I should do. I am going to rule myself. Church, the Herod within... It's constantly shouting this. And the Herod within must be daily crucified with fresh nails. We must daily put to death the sinfulness that persists in us. As we faithfully follow the risen Christ. Non-Christian, you right now are in the shoes of Herod. Herod rejecting the rule of Jesus. I think sometimes people interpret the fact that God created everyone as meaning He he is at peace with everyone. You are not at peace with God. Christmas is not good news for you if you are not in submission to the King of Christmas. You need to repent of your sins and accept the pardon That the good and mighty king offers to all who will turn to him in faith. You don't have to die for your sins. Christ has died so that all who come to him can live. Herod refuses Jesus. He wants to be king. But he does know the right place to look when it comes to the promised king. The Davidic king. He goes right to these biblical scholars, these scribes and chief priests. Look in verse four. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Bible scholars know. They quote to him, Micah, sprinkle in a little Samuel. Yeah, the shepherd, this is where the shepherd's going to come from. But notice what's missing from our text. These scribes who are so acquainted with the Bible do not pick up their things and go to be with the Magi to seek and find Jesus. No, 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 no. They reject Jesus. Not outright like Herod, not with vehemence and cunning, but with apathy. Do nothing. They ignore Jesus. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have come to church week after week, year after year, because somebody's twisted your arm and you've got to be here. And that's good. Keep coming to church. This is a good place for you to be. I want you to do that. But if you're here and you've learned all about the Bible, but you don't know Jesus, you're in trouble. You're at war with Jesus. You can know all about the Bible and not know Jesus Christ. This is a warning, warning for us here. We don't want to be the sort of people that know the Bible but don't know the God who speaks in it. It's possible to be around church and not belong to it. It's possible to be around Jesus and not know him as Lord. It's possible to be around the church, but to not be a member of it. It is possible. Don't ignore Jesus. Wonder at Jesus. Worship him like the magi. We see them finally arrive following the star or angel, as some think, in verses 9 through 11. It is interesting. The Magi, they have this star, and yet they stop to talk with Herod. It really is cool. They have this sort of general revelation, whether it's a star or an angel, I don't know. And they get to Jerusalem, but then apparently the star goes away. Why else do they stop? And so they ask Herod where we find the Messiah, the scriptures are consulted, and then when they get to Bethlehem, star shows back up. So what a wonderful lesson for us about how general revelation and special revelation, God's world and God's word, conspire together with God's Holy Spirit to show us who God is. God gets them where they're going. It really is spectacular, and it's not apart from his word. Even though it is a little bit late. I mentioned earlier this is up to two years after Jesus was born. We know that from verse 16 where Herod wants to kill all the toddlers because Jesus could have been in this age range. I know that comes as heartbreak to some of you who love nativity scenes we have a couple around here i actually thought about going and finding the magi that are at them and like moving them like 30 feet away you know just be a little more accurate but they're they're not there yet they don't show up after the shepherds have been there after simeon has held the christ child to his chest finally they show up and they throw this belated baby shower this is another this is a sidebar Yesterday, I I came home to incredible disappointment. I I had worked, I was working on my sermon, and I walked into my house, and it was barren. No Christmas cheer, no Christmas tree, no garland, no ornaments. I know, I know. I had to explain to Chelsea that, that there are 12 days of Christmas. It's, it's a festival, it starts on the 25th, and it culminates on January 6th with Epiphany, which celebrates the, the revelation of Christ to the Magi. They showed up late. I mean, Twelve days, we celebrate the whole thing. Any, anyhow, that's just for free, does not really relevant. Uh, the Magi show up late, they've been following this star. And so the question rises, how, Why? It seems like they're familiar with the prophecy of Balaam in Numbers 24 and verse 17, where Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Seems like they know this prophecy and therefore follow this star and so we go well how how would they have known it and I am speculating just a little bit though I'm pretty convinced of this so how would they know it well I think it's because they come from Babylon and I think it's because of the ministry of Daniel and others centuries before because you know the only other place in the Bible where the term magi shows up is in the book of Daniel when the Magi are supposed to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I mention this because it seems like they're familiar with the prophecy. It seems like they're familiar with the teachings of God. They're all the way out in Babylon and here they are coming to the Lord Jesus. And it made me think, you know, your ministry to other people, our ministries at church, has ramifications that will go far beyond our deaths. Things you do will reverberate long after you're gone. Let that serve as an encouragement as you obey Christ and teach others the scriptures. So the Magi, they show up and they serve as a model for us all. Really, there's this fun little contrast going on. Jesus is born king of the Jews, but Herod, the king of the Jews, along with the Jewish religious leaders, reject the king. And the pagan magi, the Gentiles, those who are supposed to be outsiders, they show up to worship the king. The magi typify the nations coming to be blessed by the son of David who brings the blessing of Abraham to them. And we saw this back in the genealogy when we pointed out all of these Gentiles that were sprinkled in there. It's not an accident. Matthew is teaching us that Jesus is not just the king of Israel. He's the king of the world. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is worthy of all worship, honor, and praise. Every knee should bow before his throne. Every heart should submit to his rule. This is who Jesus is. We're to come to him like the magi and offer him precious gifts our whole lives. But here's the thing. Jesus always gives us more than we give to him. He calls us to lose our lives so that we might find it. He calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. And where do we follow him? Into war, into the grave, and out the other side again. This is illustrated well in the Queen of Sheba, who anticipates the Magi here. She hears of Solomon's wisdom. And so in 1 Kings 10, she shows up and she's like, This is better than I was told. Told you all last week, Sunday night. Her, I love the phrase her breath was no longer in her, it went out from her. She's just breathless at what God has done through Solomon. And she brings him gifts gold and myrrh. I think it's myrrh, or frankincense. She brings two of the three. And then as she goes out, she leaves with far more gifts than she ever gave to Solomon friends this is a picture of everybody who comes to Christ and bows down and worship we offer him our loyalty our very lives we love him with all our hearts with all our souls with all our minds with all our strength and he gives to us eternal life better he gives to us peace with god he gives to us the holy spirit He gives to us relationship with His church. He gives to us relationship with Himself. This is what we were made for. He gives to us supreme joy. Non-Christian, do not respond to Jesus like Herod or the Bible scholars. Respond like the Magi. It's not too late. The shepherds and others got there first, but the Magi still got there. It might take you a while, but you are still called to come. You're still welcome to come and worship King Jesus. He is the Good Shepherd, and He gives life to all who obey His voice. He has told us in John 10 I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Brothers and sisters, the shepherd king has come. Let us follow his voice. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ has come. And therefore, we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want We thank you that he lies us down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters, that he restores our souls, that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We thank you that even when we are led to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear evil because Christ is with us, comforting us with his rod and his staff. We thank you that in the darkest of nights, Christ is preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies, that when the world around us rages, we still have abundant blessing an anointing on our heads with oil, cups that overflow with grace and mercy, indeed the goodness and mercy that you have said will follow us all the days of our lives. We thank you for that promise that even as we gather together now, to worship you. We we are given a foretaste of eternity when we will dwell in your house forever. You are so good to us. Thank you for Christ, our shepherd king, in whose name we pray.